I do. Everyone will please come in and be seated. Let's begin with a prayer. Father, we humbly thank you this time for the many blessings you give us. Father, we've been able to enjoy a beautiful day here in this great land that you've provided for us. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come here during this midweek and to hear a word from your, uh, from your word. Uh, for this opportunity to be renewed in our spiritual lives. Father, we pray your blessings on Brother Tony tonight as he brings us to the lesson and that we might benefit from it, learn from it, and live it in our, in our lives. Father, continue to bless us as you have in the past with our health, our material blessings, and especially the spiritual blessings that we have through Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. So we are ready to continue uh, lesson uh, tonight. Being like Jesus, I want to do just a really quick review because um, I really thought it was important to think about all of the things that Jesus could have done all. I mean, five things. Five things that Jesus could have done, but he chose not to. Uh, while he was being dishonored and um, treated inhumanely uh, by evil and wicked people, uh, you know, he could have just walked away. You know, think about that, right? We're talking, our God loved us so very much to where he refused to to walk away. He just... He stayed there and he fought the good fight of faith all the way to the end. So everything he's asked us to do, we know he's done it himself. He didn't walk away. He stayed true to his mission. He stayed true to the Father. And then um, he could have joined Peter in swinging the sword. But he didn't. He stayed true to the course. He remained faithful to God. And uh, he kept us in mind for salvation. Remember what he said about the 12 legion of angels I could have called, right? He could have destroyed the whole world and just said, you know what? No one's going to know. Or, or you know, my mission is fulfilled, right? There's nothing left. Uh, but he didn't do that. He, uh, he chose to save us instead. And then those soldiers that, that spit in his face and slapped him and beat him in the face and the ones who took the stick and beat him on the head he could have he could have slapped them back right those who mocked him he could have mocked them back but he didn't he did not he did not revile in return he could have come down from the cross when they said if you're the son of man if you're the son of god come off the cross but he didn't he could have but he did not do that. I want us to turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Instead, he stayed on the cross and he gave us a message. And the message through the apostle Peter 
uh, says in verse 22, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That is the message that Jesus brings to the church. That is the message that Jesus brings to the world. That is the example that he sets. We've been looking at his example and being like Jesus and following in his footsteps. And when you think of Jesus, you think of words like holiness, sanctification, sanctified, a righteous man. We think of purity. We think of love. We think of the topic we've been talking about, humility and submission. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. We think of meekness, obedience, ideas like self-denial, a person who's willing to minister to others. We think of benevolence. He was a benevolent man. Forgiveness, an overcomer. He overcame everything this world had to offer. We think of separateness. I know they're sanctified. We think of separateness. He was not like the world in any way. Guiltless. He was a a guiltless person. And he suffered wrongly. We think of suffering for the sake of righteousness and conformity. That he conformed. So you think about this and you say, I want to be like Jesus. Do we? Because those are the same words that are in the scriptures that apply and should apply to Christians. That we are supposed to be these kinds of people. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So he committed no sin. We know an injustice truly occurred to him. 1 Peter 2 and verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So it's not just the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. In fact, I want to go back to Isaiah 53. But it's the fact that while he was living his life, he did not live in deceit. Now think about people who are in trouble. And they and they stand before an officer of the law or, or a judge. You know, something we don't see often is people that will just tell the truth. Right? They, they, they're deceitful in their speech, uh, cunning in their speech to try to get off, you know, to try to get a, maybe a lighter or a lesser punishment. And so, uh, but Jesus wasn't that way. When he stood before Pilate, he never, he never concocted a story, right? He didn't, and I have written down here, he didn't, he didn't lie to try to avoid the execution, right? Or the, or the ill treatment or the punishment that was coming his way, though he, though an injustice was taking place and though he was an innocent man. Isaiah prophesied about this. Verse 7, Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away And as far as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? 
for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, and yet it was with the rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus. To be like Jesus, that's a big step, isn't it? That that means that um, when when we witness um, maybe an injustice, remember we talked about that, how do you handle an injustice? You look to your own self. You look to your own injustice in life. That's how we handle everything in life. When you think about what others are doing to you, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter uh, 7 says, before you jump out there, remember what you've done to others. It's a checkmate verse. It's a beautiful verse. It, it really makes us kind of stop. You know, it's if you, uh, verse, uh, what, 19 through 21, it starts talking about uh, unrighteousness and wickedness and and all of us are unrighteous and wicked, and it kind of puts it into perspective. And then it, about verse 20, it starts saying, you know, if you be careful how you respond if you hear someone cursing you, for you realize that you too at some time have cursed others. And so it's that idea, is a checkmate verse, right? Kind of paraphrase that. The idea that I'm guilty of the same thing I'm infuriated about right now that someone else has done to me. Remember? And last week we talked about mercy. He who shows mercy receives mercy. And so God expects his people to be merciful people, to look to themselves, look to Jesus, right? Be like Jesus. It's a tall order for all of us. But what a beautiful uh, bar to try and achieve or attain or reach. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 23. When he was being ill-treated, verse 23 says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Think about that one, right? You know, when people, you know, they start yelling in our faces, how do we, how do we handle that? How do we handle conflict, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, don't, you want to talk to me about conflict resolution? I'll show you, right? No, that's not what Jesus did. People are just biting at us and just yelling. How do we handle that, right? And yet Jesus set the example and he raised the bar. And in verse 23 he says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. And he could have, couldn't he? He could have said, okay, I tell you what, here's how this is going to work out, right? He didn't do that. He, he, didn't, he didn't do that. He just kept entrusting himself to the Father, knowing that, of course, no one gets away with sin, but knowing that this is, this is what he came here for. And so he did not lash out insulting and and, and being maybe slanderous with his words or using any kind of a abusive speech. And for us to be like Jesus means that we have to watch our speech, don't we? How about that? We have to be careful with what we say. Um, look, look at Matthew 12. Matthew 12. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm the only one who uh, has struggled a time or two to keep my mouth shut. 
Maybe I, maybe I, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever struggled with that before. Jesus says we've got to be careful with what we say. Verse 35. The good man out of his good treasures bring forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Kind of scary, isn't it? Right? So, to be like Jesus. We started with falling in love with Jesus, and now it's to be like Jesus. And we recognize something. We recognize that inside of all of us, there's good and evil. Right? It exists within us. And... Though we may look down at other people, we have to remember that we too are capable of the the very same things that other folks are doing. Just, you know, put me in the right pair of shoes, put me in the right predicament, in the right situation, in the right environment, and I'm capable of doing everything else someone else has done. So are you. We don't like to admit it, but it's true. It's very true. Uh, and so we got to be careful with, with how we use our words and our judgment and the absence of mercy and care and patience and having that good character of God. And we also have to be careful not to forget. You know, when, when you know, you say, oh, well, I look back. I don't have to look back as far as some of you. But when you look back when you were 19 years old, remember what you were like when you were 16, 17, 13, 14, right? Remember? Yeah, sometimes we forget that, don't we? And we'll see another 16-year-old or 17-year-old or 15-year-old or whatever and say, I can't believe they're doing that. And we forget we did the same thing, <laughs> right? It's easy to forget. We've got to be, remember, be people that remember uh, that everyone, is, we're all capable of sitting. We all, um, we all find ourselves in, in, in difficult straits. We don't always handle things the way that we would like to have or the way that we know we ought to it's called life. Right? But the one thing we have, the power that we have, is the power of prayer. We can always repent. We can always say, dear God, please forgive me, and I, I'm wrong. And we can say to that person, I, that wasn't becoming. I'm, I apologize. I, I need not be that way. I need not respond to you in that way. And, and not while we're picking up off the ground. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We have to have self-restraint right? as God's people. That's what Jesus did. He left us an example to follow, to be like him while suffering. How tough that is, right? And so it's a constant reminder, looking at the scriptures over and over again. And then there's that reminder verse in um, Galatians chapter 2. There's that great reminder verse that says to me, you've got to remember something, Tony. You've been crucified with Christ, right? I mean, that reminder verse, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, and delivered himself or gave himself up for me. To remind myself of that. That the old, the old man no longer exists. I'm a new man. So when, when, when people reach back into your past, 
especially something you repented of or you come to Christ in forgiveness, you don't have to defend that man. That man's gone. Right? Instead, we live in the present. And so living for Jesus does mean to live in the present. In fact, uh, this will not be on your screen. Uh, Luke 9 and verse 62. Jesus in addressing uh, living uh, for God and honoring God and doing the right things. Jesus says to them, as he's trying to call, uh, he's trying to call disciples and, and they have excuses, etc. But verse 62, Jesus says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so, don't resurrect the old man. That's so easy to do, isn't it? Resurrect, I need you. <laughs> Come to my defense. No, let him, let him lay dead. Right? And walk with Jesus. Be like Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that look like to be like Jesus? Well, let's go back to Philippians again. I want to go to chapter 2. Actually, we're going to Philippians for the first time. Uh, verse verse 5. It's about attitude. And to be like Jesus is this, there's this, there's this curve, this, this transformation that happens to where my attitude changes. How long does that take? Would you say a lifetime? (laughs) But really it's what, what you put in is what you get out, right? And so it's, it's easy to change my attitude when things are going great. But what about when things aren't going so well? Does, does my attitude reflect Jesus? It's about, it's about the mindset. It's about the true motivation for the, for the reason that I do things that I do, that you do the things that you do. It's attitude and motive. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was the motivation? What was the true motivation of Jesus Christ? We know it wasn't self-interest. What was his motivation? What made him do the things that he did, act the way that he acted, react the way that he reacted, respond the way that he responded? What was his motivation? What do you think? What was that? The will of the Father, right? The will of the Father was his motivation. What else was his, what other motivation did he have? The will of the Father, and then there's something else. Love, right? Love, the will of the Father. Love, I think you pointed to loving us, right? He loved us for God so loved the world. So if we can begin now, if we have it already, to put the will of the Father in our lives and love people like God loved people, first loving God. So he said the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So to, to be like Jesus means to put the will of the Father first. That means to set aside, wait a minute, that's a struggle. What about me, Mike? <laughs> put aside self, right? And, and walk the way that God would expect me to walk. Now, now we're doing it, right? I'm going to come back to doing the will of the Father and, and just... In just a second, I'm going back to Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, that prophetic message that was revealed to us, it, it is it is such a, um, 
a powerful message, but it displays the attitude of Jesus with the thought of submission. Right? We started talking about that last week. We are talking about humility and submission, uh, being able to, to be a servant, to be a servant attitude. I am a Christian, which means I'm what? I am a servant of the Lord's. And if I'm a servant, who, who gets to decide what I do? <laughs> yeah, the master. I'm not the master. I'm the servant. And you know what happens in the Lord's church? Sometimes we forget that we're not the masters. And we, we begin to master people. But we are servants. Right? All of us are servants. So, Isaiah 53 gives us this display of servant a servant's attitude or a servant's heart. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore. So you say, wait a minute. Well, wait, well, okay, I'm a servant. Now, if you're a servant, then if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. But did he say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. Why do I have to bear their sins, right? I didn't do it. They did it. Doesn't it say the stroke was due me? The stroke was due us, but Jesus took it for us. The servant didn't say, wait a minute, I'm not going to die for them. The servant said, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup. But if it's not your will, I'll die for them. Right? Wow. That's a, that's a servant attitude. That's the attitude and the mindset that Jesus wants us to have. So, again, verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows... He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so we we are happy to dodge that bullet, weren't we? <laughs> kind of happy to say, oh, I don't have to do it, Lord. Thank you for doing it for me. We we get to dodge the bullet even though even though it's due us, right? He was pierced, not because he was bad or mean or evil, obnoxious or whatever. Verse 5, but he was pierced through for me. Right, and it's it, we, that hour does include me. It's, it's easier for it to no, it does include me. Okay, so he was pierced through for my transgressions. Right, when I start thinking about why I'm so angry, just go back and read Isaiah 53. I'm so angry. I'm not. For, I'm not forgiving. I'm just not going to forgive them because I'm so angry. Go read Isaiah 53 and see how long you can stay angry. <laughs> He was pierced through, oh, because, oh, you want to be angry, Mr. Mr. Preacher Man? Well, you better go back and read Isaiah 53 and learn forgiveness, right? But he was pierced through for our iniquities, for my iniquities. He was crushed for my iniquities or transgressions in the first part. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And I love reading verse 5 by putting my name in there. And you can put your name in there. Right? Listen. But he was pierced through for Tony's transgressions. He was crushed for Tony's iniquities. For the chastening of Tony's well-being fell upon Jesus. And by the scourging of Jesus, Tony, you were healed. Now, why are you angry again? I forget. It's kind of hard to be angry. It's kind of hard to be vengeful and vindictive and mean. It's hard to do that, isn't it? And, it, and it's sad that there are a lot of a lot of Christians who forget about this verse, and and they are mean and vindictive, and and angry. And verse six, Tony, you've gone astray. 
Tony, you, re- you return to your own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of you to fall on Jesus. <laughs> Stop messing up, boy. <laughs> Get it together, preacher. I want to be like Jesus. Right? To be like Jesus, it, it's, it, it takes effort, right? Daily, throughout the day, this, this continual barrage of, 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 you know, of things that come our way, it, it really makes me think. You got to think about, you got to try to think two steps ahead, right? You got to kind of try to approach life and, and be proactive instead of reactive. That makes a big difference. Let's turn to the New Testament and let's look at Mark chapter 10. Live your life in a proactive way instead of a reactive way. Now, you might say, well, what is the, what is the secret to that? And I don't know of uh, any, any secrets necessarily, but I do know this. If you pray about it, God will open your eyes up to see some things you hadn't seen before. All right? Lord, help me to be proactive. I, w- I want to respond in a way that you would expect me to respond. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the store now. And I know there may be some people that's going to push my cart around a little bit. They might jump in front of me in line, right? Uh, I might trip some, no, just kidding. You know, lots of things are going to happen, maybe. Help me, Lord, though, to display you when I go into this store. Right? I'm proactive, not reactive. And there may, there may be some, some, some words and things that I'm going to hear that um, that I, I hope and pray you'll just erase it from my mind. And I know I'm not perfect, Lord. I remind, I'm reminded of that every day. But help me to to be an example when I go into the store today. Right? Be proactive. Instead of just running into the store, that's what gets us into trouble. You know, if you just run into the crowd. Remember growing up as a, a kid in school and there's a big crowd. I used to teach my children, if you see a big crowd at school, go the other way. You already know what happened. You know what's going on. It's not good. You'll find out in about an hour. Don't worry. Everybody in the school is going to talk about it, right? And then, of course, in their world, it's going to be on Facebook, you know. <laughs> you'll, you'll know everything about it. Don't worry about it. They even filmed it for you, right? Go the other way. We already know, but our curiosity gets us. And so, you know, it's, it doesn't take long before your curiosity gets the best of you. And how many times have you seen a, a dog go over and, check something out, and then come running back with his tail between his legs. You know, curiosity. Curiosity got the cat, they said. Be proactive instead of being reactive to be like Jesus. Mark chapter 10. Let's look at verse uh, 42. To be a servant. Am I willing to be to be a servant? And calling them to himself. This is after the, the indignation of the disciples because John and James asked to sit at the right hand, the left hand of Jesus. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your... Wow, that's pretty big. Huh? That's the opposite. That doesn't make any sense. But if you want to be great, then you've got to be a servant. Wow, wait. No, I don't want to be a servant. I want to be great. No, you can't be the master because God is the master. You have to be the servant. Okay? 44. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave 
of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So to be like Jesus means to what? Serve. <laughs> How about that? Maybe we ought to do that on Sunday morning. Well, Sunday morning, we'll, we'll just read this verse. We're not really going to do this. I'm going to preach a sermon. So anyway, or we just read this verse and I'll say, okay, men, all the women leave, all the men, we're going to serve. That's your job. How many of us are willing to do that? Right? Got to serve. Right? Both men and women and child, all of us have this responsibility to serve, to serve each other, to serve God, even to serve humanity. Right? What about the bad guy? Remember Jesus? What did he do to Judas? He washed his feet. Right? He served him. How many of us could wash Judas' feet? Right? Knowing what Jesus knew. To serve. The Son of Man did not come to be... Let me try it the other way. God, the creator of the universe, Jehovah, didn't come to be served. Jehovah came to serve. Why would he serve me? Remember, Peter said, Lord, you can't do this. But when he understood, he said, not just my feet, but my head and my hands too. And Jesus said, I don't have to wash what's already clean. Because I wonder what's already clean inside of me that Jesus doesn't have to wash. To be like Jesus. So the text in in Philippians 2 uh, is a a great explanation, if you will, or counterpart to Isaiah 53. And I want to go back and look at Philippians chapter 2 and think about what, what this means as far as what we've seen in Jesus And then later on, maybe, or next time, we'll come back and we can look at it and ask ourselves, what does this mean to me? You know, so when I walk into, when you walk into a store or a a place that's of importance, where do you want to sit? You want the best seats in the house. You think Jesus would sit in the best seat of the house? Nope, he wouldn't. He'd, He'd sit in the far back. And isn't that what he told us to do? He said, don't sit up in the place of honor. Don't sit in the far back, right? Sit, don't sit in the best seat in the house. Just, just sit down. Be unrecognized, if you will, unrecognizable in that sense. Verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if you think about, okay, let's go to verse 8 and we'll go, we'll do this in the opposite way. What was important for Jesus to be whomever, whom he was or whomever he uh, declared himself to be? Humility. He had to humble himself because he has all power. <laughs> so, now, I don't know what exactly it meant that he emptied himself in verse 7. Uh, we know it's not of deity. He was all God and all man at the same time. But there was something about deity or something in that God thing that he had to get rid of because God cannot be tempted by evil. And Jesus had to be tempted by evil. So he had to get rid of that, whatever that was that allowed him to 
become uh, flesh and die and be tempted by evil as we are tempted. But verse 7, what I want to bring out is not that part, but rather that he was a bond servant. First, he was humble. He was a bond servant like men, lowly men. Where was he born? In a stable, right? I mean, where the, I mean that's, that's not the greatest place, right? I mean, a smelly stable at that. They didn't clean it first. There was no room in the inn. Um, the first thing that he can he could not remember as an infant from a human perspective, but as an infant, it was a, the, the, the very next thing in his life. Shortly thereafter, he had to flee for his life. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder him. Herod, Herod killed the babies, thousands of babies. Couldn't even go home. Couldn't enjoy life. Never enjoy life, ever. Think about that. Misfortune uh, and struggle and difficult. He was a bond servant. And he was born like, like man. He became like man. He didn't come as a king, although he was king. Right? He didn't come rich, although he was filthy rich. He, he came poor. How do we know he was poor? Because Joseph and Mary offered two turtle doves. That's what poor people offered. Right? So we know they were poor. They didn't have much. They, didn't have, they were just... How would Jesus have fit into this congregation? Poor guy. You know, I mean, you know, good kid, but, you know, he doesn't have anything. Doesn't have much. Nice kid, but doesn't have much. How would he fit in? And then as he grows up and he, you know, how would he fit into our lives? What about our home? How would Jesus have fit into our homes? You know, think about that. He was a, wasn't the most handsome fellow in the world. Just an ordinary guy, I guess you'd say. Right? Not the, what is it, the blonde hair, blue eye guy? That's not him. That guy looks really cool. He looks good. But that's not Jesus, right? Right? That's not him. Uh, he's just a regular old guy. Just un, you know, you wouldn't recognize him as being something special. To be like Jesus is to be willing to accept servant, a servant mindset. Humility and a servant mindset. How may I be of service, right? To to God first, and and then to each other. This whole word, this whole uh, thought of um, you know submission. Oh, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands. How many times do you think in the Bible it says that husbands and men ought to be submissive? Everybody's supposed to be submissive. Right? This isn't just a, a woman thing. All of us are supposed to be that way. Just submissive people, willing and ready to serve. That's what it means to be like Jesus. And, and the way this verse begins, chapter 2, it, it, it starts out with not looking out for your own personal interests. You know, not merely looking out. I mean, you, you know, you look out for your own personal interests, but don't forget other people in the process. Right? Not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Verses 3 and 4. Be like Jesus. Be willing to serve people and to help them. And don't wrestle with equality. That's in verse 6, right? In verse 6, he, God, the Godhead didn't wrestle with, 
well, we wrestle, you know, who's, who's the greatest? No, they, Jesus came and died. He came and served. The Father would have come to serve. The Holy Spirit would have come to serve. But it just makes more sense to us that a personality within the Godhead called the Son, revealed, manifested as a Son, would come and die for His Father. Just, wow, a lot to it. He died for us, but He died and He didn't wrestle with in the Godhead who, who's the greatest. The Godhead didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't wrestle with that. So we ought to be the same way, have the same attitude to where we are. We're just, we're all on an equal plane, and we're all servants, right? So here's, here's Matthew 27, please. The example that he demonstrated in servitude. And I know this is never a, a favorite topic to think about servitude, but I want you to think about his willingness to, to serve while suffering, right? Uh, verse Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him in regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Suffering. While suffering. While suffering. He didn't argue back. Look, Job argued back. <laughs> right? He was a righteous man. He was upright, fearing God, blameless, turning away from evil, and a man who held fast his integrity. And Job argued back. Job said, worthless are you. You friends are worthless people, right? And, and then this whole dialogue opens up between uh, his three friends and, and, uh, and Eliphaz later and, and, and Job. Jesus didn't argue back, right? Jesus suffered, but he recognized, remembered, he was suffering for the Father. Suffering servants really don't have the power to defend themselves, right? I mean, while Jesus did... He chose not to because he wanted to be like us. So imagine we are standing before the Roman governor or uh, the, the emperor and, and, and we're chained up and they're trying to decide what they're going to do with you. They're deciding on your fate. You, you don't have any power. And they're trying to determine whether they're going to let a lion eat you to death and turn you loose in the arena or they're going to light you on fire. You know, or, or whether they're going to, you know, torture you in one way or another, they're trying to decide your fate, and there's nothing you can do about it. Jesus demonstrated how you die as a child of God. <laughs> he showed them. He could have. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't echo a word. Suffering servants don't claim Things like, you know, what about me? <laughs> they don't do that. Because the master doesn't really care about you as long as you work. All the master wants you to do, if you're a servant or a slave, is he wants you to get the job done. Suffering service, just, just get the job, just get the job done. The difference is our master does care, right? Our master does care. 
And he cared as Jesus suffered and struggled. And Jesus wasn't disrespectful, was he? Could have been, right? He could have, he could have said some things. He could have even called them out and said, okay, you want to talk about my sin? Well, what about you? Right? He could have, but he didn't, he didn't do that. He's just a servant, right? Of the master. And this servant was totally committed. He was totally committed to the work of the Father. And he, here's a good scripture. Hebrews chapter 5 and, uh, and verse, verse 8. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. This one says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Suffering was a teacher. How about that? <laughs> and it is a teacher, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, because you know, in a lot of our lives, and maybe half the time in our lives, maybe half the time in my life, I suffer because of my own mistakes. Right? It's a teacher. It's a great teaching tool. Jesus learned obedience to the Father through the things that he suffered. Remember, he didn't do anything wrong, right? He did nothing wrong, and yet he still suffered. And so the picture there is that people suffer whether they do right or wrong. It doesn't matter. And this life, this life has really nothing to offer us that's good. He did not complain because, listen to this one. I was thinking about this one today when I wrote it down. He did not complain because, you know, he, you, you've heard this argument. Well, you know, if God's in charge and this bad thing's happening to me, then that means the Father did it to me. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't, start, he didn't do the old thing where you, you pass the blame off on God. Isn't that easy? Right? Well, God's doing it because God's in charge. I've heard that argument so many times from both both brethren and, and the world alike. Well, God God knew it was going to happen, so it's all God's fault. And now they're angry at God and just the life. He never did that, right? And and he and he says um, in in John nineteen. We'll read it next week. We don't have time to read it today. That they would have no authority unless the Father gave it to them. And yet he never blamed the Father for having to suffer. What was the reason that he suffered? I forgot. Oh, yeah, it was because of me. It was, it was my fault, right? How many times do we do that? How many? How often do we say, you know, the reason I'm in the predicament that I'm in is because I messed up, honestly and truly, right? I did that, you know. So I was, I was, I was already, you know, in a bad mood. You ever, you ever waking up in a awakened in a bad mood, <laughs> kind of irritated or just not today? Things aren't clicking, and then someone, you know, trying to be kind, and they say, "Hey, how you doing?" <clears throat> Right? You ever done that before? <laughs> right. Maybe I'm just the only one. <laughs> right. uh, anyway. It wasn't their fault, but I mean, am I willing to say I am so sorry? I I, I don't even know what's wrong with me. I got to snap out of this. You know, maybe I forgot to pray a lot. I don't know. To be like Jesus means to be a servant. Church, we need more servants. But you know what's funny? We don't need more servants because God made all of us servants. <laughs> we all have to serve. A servant. I'm going to leave you with that. We'll come back locally next week. We'll look at John and continue this thought of being like, to be like Jesus means to put 
the well-being of others ahead of yourself? Am I really willing to do that? In a moment, we'll have a devotional and an invitation. Those who are not uh, children of God would like to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. That opportunity will be afforded uh, to you. For those who may have special needs or requests on their heart or mind, that opportunity will be afforded to you as well. Uh, if we can help in any way, if you're online, please uh, contact us. The number you'll see on the screen, uh, send us an email or, or call us in some way. So thank you tonight, all of you, for your time. I really appreciate it. God bless you, and let's uh, continue to fight the good fight of faith and uh, do our best to be like Jesus. God bless you, and thank you.